you had this dialogue about well, what is the nature of the relationship of the employer and employee in the workplace around are we a team are we something more than that are we a community are we colleagues like what is the nature of that relationship and then the pandemic struck welcome to another episode of the work life hub podcast each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I have the great pleasure to be joined by Steve Hatfield, who's consulting principal at Deloitte currently serving as the firm's global future of work leader. Hi, Steve, and thank you for being on this podcast. Hi, Agnes. Very excited to be here. So, of course, uh, Deloitte has been publishing the Human Capital Report, among other great insights um, and uh, other reports and and forward-looking documents in the past couple of years. But, of course, I guess the pandemic has also greatly impacted on how we plan for the future of work scenarios. So I'm particularly excited to be speaking with you, Steve, about um, how maybe some of the scenarios may be planning out as we have seen that the pandemic has had a dramatic impact, um, a seismic impact on the labor market, on the world of work and, and the different aspects of it. And we are going to, in this conversation, zoom in on one of the reports that was recently published by Deloitte, and it's called The Worker-Employer Relationship Disrupted. And this report starts with a very uh, challenging and intriguing question. If we are not family, who are we? And I found that very intriguing. And there are a number of company cases that highlight some of these issues around paternalistic organizational approaches, but also perhaps even worker exploitation. And and one of the examples that is mentioned is Basecamp, and I wrote a lengthy article about that. Can I just ask you, Steve, to tell the listeners a little bit more how this became sort of a, a flagship question into the report around an organization or an employing organization being a family or not? Sure. So, It's interesting. I would say that the discussion around the role of work in people's lives was actually beginning to take interesting shape even pre-pandemic. And the dialogue around purpose at work or the dialogue around the degree to which the organization is sort of stepping into things that extend past the normal boundaries of the workplace we're, we're, we're part and parcel of the conversation. And you, you had this dialogue about, well, what is the nature of the relationship of the employer and employee in the workplace around, are we a team? Are we something more than that? Are we a community? Are we colleagues? Like, what is the nature of that relationship? And then the pandemic struck. And it's part of why we actually started this year when we were thinking about the next phase of trends, stepped into the question of, a special report that explored specifically the nature of the employee-employer relationship and what's driving some of that. And you saw through the pandemic the way certain organizations stepped up 
to the care of their workforce in a very different way and how others may not have stepped up. And you saw the shift in what people want, the worker sentiment around what's possible in terms of work-life integration, what's possible in terms of hybrid or virtual work, what's possible in terms of um, the kind of confidence that the workers of today now have, given the kinds of things they did in the pandemic and their ability to now potentially move on to other and more exciting opportunities. And so you have the, this, this newfound um, trend called the Great Resignation. And so into all of that is this really interesting question then about, well, given these trends, given the new confidence of the workforce of today, given the nature of how organizations may or may not have stepped up into the pandemic, given the focus that we're now seeing on things like health and well-being and um, belonging and connection and inclusion, what then is the nature of the relationship? And so are we a family or are we not? And that's part of what we are sort of exploring, if you will, through these various trends. Well, thank you very much for for giving such a great overview and, and explaining leading this. And um, was it also the same uh, thought process at, at Deloitte, similar to what some other academics are also looking at is, is how the pandemic and perhaps even other crises going on in the world may fundamentally change work and the workplace or employment and that we need to maybe really shed some of the post-industrial heritage or baggage um, in order to be able to continue robust and, and resilient, but also to match all of these different expectations and the different contexts. I guess that's a great question. I, I, I absolutely think so. I, we're seeing that um, in, in, in strong results through the trends report and the various scenarios that we're exploring. Three out of four sort of speak to the fact that the post-industrial kind of labor market dynamic is just dramatically different. You know, I had the pleasure of actually listening to Thomas Friedman speak recently, and, and he actually has said that the fourth industrial revolution, that which the World Economic Forum declared that we are now in as of 2016, isn't really correct. It's a bit of a misnomer because it provides a, a view that we're on some sort of progression from the second industrial revolution to the third industrial revolution to the fourth, from steam in the mass production line to computerization to the cyber and the physical worlds coming together. His view is that we've actually reached a Promethean moment, sort of the equivalent of finding fire and what that does to transform society in what we've now experienced through the pandemic. And that there's a dramatic change that's now happening in terms of how we need to think about the labor market, how we need to think about work, how we need to think about the workforce itself, and how we need to think about, as we pointed out, what is the nature of the relationship between the organization and its, and its workforce? And so these dynamics, I think, are part of what those other academics are seeing when they speak to things like the decommodification of the labor force or the democratization of um, the employer base or the companies and organizations that you work for, that, that there's this dimension of labor having a, a different place and a different voice and a different way to kind of influence outcomes 
that they than we than we've not had even in the second and third industrial revolution. Absolutely, and and part of it has been this recognition around the essential workers, right? That the pandemic has also very clearly shown us that that there are employees who are asked to put their health and their well-being on the line um, to to service uh, the clients, the customers, that we are calling on them beyond perhaps what was in their contract, um, their formal contract. And then these very big differences between, you know, people who were able to work from home versus people who didn't have that choice versus those who had really their dreams go up in smoke with their business or their careers. Um, And and as you said, um, there has been a a great awakening. Um, I saw in the report that 30% of the global workforce is now thinking about leaving their employer this year. So there has been some eye-opening moments, I guess, for these 40% who may have different expectations towards their employers that employers may or may not be ready for. Is is that partly driving, as you say, this this confidence that you already mentioned? And perhaps what are these expectations? Yeah. So absolutely. Um, the the employees of today have vastly different expectations, I think, than they may have had pre-pandemic. So part of what you're seeing in the comment you made about those that are now thinking about um, looking for new jobs or new work. And the extent to which, at least in the US, there's this dialogue about workers not wanting to come back to the leisure and hospitality jobs that they had in the past. And you read endless blogs about that workforce talking about how they weren't living, they weren't working for a living wage. And they weren't working in an environment that cared for them in the right way. And the opportunity they had to kind of reflect on what they wanted for their lives during the course of the pandemic became apparent, back to your point about the essential worker. And so suddenly there's another dialogue happening. YOLO, you only live once. Suddenly workers have a newfound confidence in terms of what they know they can do and what they know they can perform. There was a study that was done by the Philadelphia Fed that showed that somewhere in the vicinity of 36 million Americans could earn about 70% more if we started to think about hiring them for the skills that they possessed as opposed to the pedigree that they have. And I personally think that a lot of workers during the course of the pandemic realized that they could take advantage of this opportunity to kind of set themselves up for a different future and did so, either because of YOLO or because they could move to a new location where their heart is or because of this newfound confidence. And we're actually seeing that globally. Like you're seeing a bit of it now also in China, this dynamic around ten ping, which is about lying flat. The youth of China are less inclined to want to work the nine 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 to nine six days a week model that is classic in China. And they're saying, no, 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 they need to take back a bit of their life and in some ways operate in a way that gives them more space and flexibility and ease. And so I think this shift is very profound. And I think that employers need to, you know, pay attention a little bit to some of what we're talking about in the scenarios in our report and to think about, well, how do they focus on the right moves in order to create a new contract with their workforce? 
So the report is structured in a very interesting way, in a in a matrix way. There are these two undercurrents that have been identified, namely talent supply, whether we will have talent uh, shortage or we'll have adequate or increasing talent supply, and also the government's uh, influence, so the role of government, the government impact on employment. And then the report moves through these different scenarios on this quadrant in the in the matrix and i found that very intriguing was this how difficult was this to <laughs> to model this i i just find it very impressive in its um in, in the way it has been structured thank you it was um it was interesting for us to mine some of the data sets from our previous trends report and then we spent time in this actual special report um interviewing uh, workers through a, a an AI-enabled um, focus group tool to begin to sort of triangulate, if you will, the dynamics that we're experience, we, we're, we've just been discussing, like what is worker sentiment against kind of the, the previous trends, which were high, you know, sort of get providing us with this view that might be more akin to coming from the employer. And what became really apparent was the nature of the way the two dynamics, that which is the ta- the government intervention around the talent shortage and um, and the, the nature of what government is going to do to support things like upskilling and reskilling, or are they going to step into issues around regulating, say, alternative talent, such as the gig workers, or are they going to provide more um, support, remediation, and uh, uh, type activities in any one jurisdiction? Versus sort of then what are the employers going to do? And how does the how do the two kind of play off each other in terms of that interaction? And so these four scenarios became largely apparent. Um, one geared to there's definitely a, a limited amount of government interaction and a strong gap in terms of labor and shortage. And so what does that then mean in terms of how the employer needs to respond? And the the potential downside if they get drawn into, you know, doing things that are too trendy. Mm-hmm. We think of it as work as fashion. And so, so if, if they respond by, as they may have in the past during the dot-com boom, for example, like providing ping pong tables and things like that, yeah. as opposed to thinking about things that have a much more enduring value to their workforce, then they could be sort of whipsawed by the worker sentiment, as opposed to sort of really focusing on, as we think of it, the purpose, potential, and perspective of your workforce. And that's just one of the scenarios. The others, of course, being um, around the war for talent, the one being around work is work, and then one being around sort of how do you unleash purpose more substantially within your workforce. Absolutely. And I'm just always... um surprised I've, I've been to a few um, events now after, after the summer where there still seems to be a number of employers who are just waiting for the end of the pandemic for everything to go back as it was before what what lessons do they need to learn and and what would be your your advice to them in terms of you know how how 
the world of work is changing around them. And especially, I, I just, you know, cannot um, echo enough this, the ping pong table um, idea around, you know, putting all these additional perks and benefits that employees end up not using or not even interested in, whereas the fundamentals are not taken care of. And there's no autonomy or there's no transparency, there's no trust, there's no flexibility. So w- what do you say to to these kind of companies or leaders who are still waiting to see when can we finally go back to how everything was before? We've been in multiple conversations, hundreds over the past 18 months with organizations about how to grapple with these different trends. And and it's it's always been interesting to me the extent to which there's this dimension of sort of wait and see. But unfortunately, you know, the pandemic isn't really subsiding in the way that we'd hoped. And even those organizations that thought perhaps they could revert back to something that felt a little bit more normal in the previous way of thinking of it, now with the Delta variant are starting to even rethink that. And you're mm-hmm. watching that in the news, organization after organization kind of shifting again its return to office dates and starting to double down on how to make, if you will, a virtual and hybrid model work. But what's underneath all of that is what you're getting at. Organizations need to step back and think very carefully about how do they create this flexibility for their workforce? How do they enable them to focus, if you will, on the outcomes that they want them to focus on? And how do they engender trust in their workforce to go forward and meet those work outcomes? And then how do they create the right basket of support to making that all happen, be that childcare for the working mother, be that a better digital and physical workplace mix so that teams can operate better on digital toolkits and connect in the way they need to physically when they need to in order to get things done. Or um, providing opportunities for people to upskill and reskill. In the end, it really becomes a matter of focusing on how to create more agency in the workforce and how to create, in a sense, more meaning and value for that workforce at work. And that's really where we're urging organizations to focus. And as you spend time trying to tease through the different scenarios to focus on sort of what's common around them, it's these sorts of themes that keep coming back. No matter what scenario starts to play itself out, depending upon the nature of the labor shortage that you're facing in your particular sector or industry or the nature of the um, government intervention, but depending upon your jurisdiction, there are, some, there are some tried and true dimensions of trust and flexibility and agency and meaning and belonging that come back to the table time and again. One of the bottlenecks that we see in organizations for making this happen is often the middle managers who are caught between the hard rock and the place, the shifting and and uh, growing employee expectations and confidence versus you know the shareholders or the senior leadership who are still you know expecting results and 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 um, and profits. Where do you see this organization's role in in creating this enabling environment for 
for employees, but also for for managers or leaders to grow into better leaders. I haven't heard that much um, in you know these recent uh, months around how perhaps this pandemic could be an opportunity for managers to become better managers or leaders to be to become better leaders and use this opportunity to to work on their own skills and their own um, leadership styles. Um, wh- what would be your insights into how managers manage and, and how on an almost day-to-day basis this can, this can be translated into the life of a team? Yeah, the, the team leader, the people manager, they've become the critical node. They already were very critical in helping an organization kind of meet its broader objectives. But when the pandemic struck, they became the node that kept everyone sane and healthy. They became the node that connected the team, that organized its workflow, that checked in on everyone and made sure that they were okay. They became the way in which an organization sort of actually implemented these models, be be that hybrid or virtual, or even with the essential workers still coming in they became the node that was trying to figure out like who was on which shift, trying to make things happen in which way, and supporting that team through whatever it might have been, be it you know delivering um, critical care um, supplies and things of that sort as an essential worker, or whether it was the nurses in uh, clinics and hospitals and provider institutions, or whether it was hybrid workers in a, a knowledge-based uh, workforce. So it's interesting that you raise the question on the team leader. Because I think that's actually the nugget where the most attention now needs to be paid. And I think those organizations that are living in a little bit of these orthodoxies of, oh, our culture will deteriorate in a virtual world, or we can't be productive in a virtual world, or um, we can't onboard a new joiner in a virtual world, are, are sort of not paying attention, if you will, to the role of that team leader in all of those things. And I'm not an advocate of a fully remote um, work environment. I think that there are absolutely times and it's important for people to be together physically to do a variety of different things, be it collaborate or um, innovate or strategize or whatever, or create. The orthodoxy that you can't onboard a new joiner in a digital world is one that I find um, a little bit telling because many, many, many folks joined organizations like Deloitte during the course of the pandemic. And many have been been very, very successful. I think the critical nugget is how were they sort of cared for and attended to and networked and connected in by their team leader and their team itself. And so I think the secret to being successful in the world that's coming is one where you need to focus on the leadership and team development capabilities of that project leader, that team manager, that people manager. And that's the way in which you'll get the most sort of lift, if you will, within the organization against all these factors. And according to you, Steve, what are some of the other success factors for employers to to, to not only survive but thrive uh, in the pandemic and the post-pandemic world um, for them to be able to attract and retain talent they need and and also maybe in view of um, of how they can improve or, or rethink 
the employer-employee relationship? There are some, the, given the level of disruption, given the sh dramatic shift, if you will, in the way that the workforce of today now has kind of more power in kind of dictating what they want and need in the future, and that sort of new position that they found, given given that um, that power position enables them to shift the workforce, to shift the traditional workplace standards. Um, and then in some ways, it's really become a pivotal moment for employers to rethink and chart a course around that relationship. And so when you ask the question, like, what are the other things that they can do? I would argue that one of the most important things they need to do is ensure that their their workforce is focused on the outcomes that matter most to the organization. Mm -hmm. And that work itself has been organized and redesigned and re-architected in order to further those outcomes, to elevate what humans do best and elevate how humans like to work. And then come to the table underneath that with all the right digital tools as you see fit to enable that elevation of humans to sort of perform at their best. And that's focusing on their potential. I think that is probably the most critical act that organizations need to take. And in doing so, in doing so, you're establishing an environment that, that has the ability for um, workers to integrate their work and their work life and their home life in the right way. Because it has flexibility involved, because there's trust, right? Because you're focused on their potential. And because in order to, to generate those things, you're naturally thinking about the meaning of their job or the kind of connection and contribution that they're making or the extent to which, you know, the, their, uh, their impact and the purpose of the organization is being felt, right? And so, I would argue that that's probably the fundamental thing that organizations need to do. The second is to, is to look hard at the basket of things that you're offering your employees. Some of it might be revamping their pay, the pay structure accordingly. Some of it might be the earlier comments I made about different members of your workforce really will benefit from different things, be that educational subsidies or childcare or whatever it might be around healthcare and so forth. So those are the, the primary two that I would argue organizations should focus on in order to thrive. The third, very much on ensuring that you are developing the skills that you need within your workforce for the future that's coming. And you're seeing a lot of that, right? The World Economic Forum believes that somewhere in the tune of 100 million people are going to have to upskill or reskill into new jobs in the coming, in the coming um, years. And, and, Many, many, many organizations are now citing that um, upskilling and reskilling is a real focus, but very few have done enough to bring that into the work itself, into the way that people are operating day to day. Very few have done that in a way that's more deliberate. And I think that's a longer term thing to focus on, but one that will provide you with that resilience going forward. When you to thrive in an environment where there's going to be continued issues around skill shortages and labor shortages and so forth. Um, I, I mean, of course, I couldn't agree more with you, um, but particularly on on some of the softer areas, 
I'm just hearing, you know, my, I, I, as a devil's advocate, I'm just thinking that there's still going to be a number of businesses or leaders who are going to say, oh, that's, you know, that's fluff. We need to, you know, buy bigger or better machines or we need to, you know, they just need to work harder or longer. It's still, some of it's still for, for you know, some employers, um, mid-sized businesses maybe or or some businesses who are not so vested in these in these areas of research basically may still see these as something esoteric will they have a harsh awakening a harsh i think there will be an awakening and i think it could be uncomfortable uh, a lot of what you're talking about agnes is sort of how we think about the workplace of what we used to have, the legacy workplace, how we think about productivity in first and second industrial revolutionary terms. Frederick Taylor and Taylorism and throughput and output, right? And we talk about that in the report. Productivity is something very different now. Yeah. And it has been evolving as something very different. But I think the pandemic accelerated that and it woke us up to what that now needs to be. It's much more about I think of it as the three E's, efficiency, effectiveness, and empowerment. And efficiency being things like, are you using the toolkits correctly and well? And are they sewn together on your desktop, for example, in a way that actually suits you? This is a place where perhaps you're bringing to the table more automation and digital toolkits. We did a study with um, Forbes, a series of CIO surveys, and the latest one that came out in the summer said that 74% of the respondents in the survey are accelerating their digital transformations. And I think it's very much because of this dimension of efficacy, uh, efficiency. 71% are uh, accelerating their workforce transformations. And then the the remaining things that they're doing all were in the 40s and 30%. So these, these are the two that came to the fore. When it comes to efficacy, That's about making sure your workforce is doing the right things. That's about making sure that you're doing the things that focus on outcomes, that are doing the things that are going to further the goals of the organization. That's about removing, if you will, organizational drag. And then finally, empowerment. That's where you're trusting your employees to sort of integrate their work life, to focus on the things that matter most in terms of how work gets done to elevate their humanity. It's things like actually allowing a worker to sort of determine what is it the times in the day that they actually work best and what does the flow of that day look like? Are they a morning person or they want to dive into deep thinking then? Are they an evening person they want to work late at night? Like how do you how do they integrate their their own personal performance as a human into the flow of getting work done and into caring for their their home life? And that empowerment is, you know, the 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 crux for the entire conversation we've been having around trust. And so I think the awakening that's coming to the question you asked is largely around how organizations shift their view of productivity. And if they continue to focus on just efficiency and throughput and output and sort of Tayloristic terms, that's those are the organizations that I think are going to have the more harsh awakening. Whereas if they focus more on a combination of efficiency, effectiveness, and empowerment. They focus more on helping their organ, their their workforce perform better as humans. I think that's where they're going to find sort of a, a whole new step change in the kind of productivity that organizations can have. 
And well, thank you very much, firstly, for explaining this so succinctly. Let me ask you another provocation. <laughs> and that's around, um, I mean, I'm totally subscribed to everything you say about um, employees becoming very aware about when and how and where they do their best work and just getting out of the way and allowing them to do just that while at the same time giving them um, a skills offering that they can choose from, that makes sense to them, that they're interested in, um, that they need, as well as understanding what in their personal cir- circumstances they m- may really benefit from. Is it childcare? Is it elder care? Is it, what is it? But w- what this then somehow means is that we're asking employers, and when I say asking, uh, I'm being a bit sarcastic here, but we're asking employers to to hyper-customize this relationship or their offering to each and every employee, um, which is, you know, a big departure from the one-size-fits-all kind of <laughs> policies or programs or ben- benefits of the past. And I see that somehow scares employers. When we've been doing a few surveys for for employers and it's not only once, but a few times I got the reaction, well, we need to be very careful in the survey design because we don't want to give employees the uh, impression that they will now just be able to ask for anything when we ask them what do they need. What is your your take on this? It's an interesting provocation, right? Can we and should we micro-target? our workforce against the basket of things that we offer them. And what's interesting as we think about that, Agnes, is that those capabilities exist in many organizations now as applied to the customer. It's the whole dialogue around yes, the customer right. offer, right? Yeah. And the way in which you use data and insights to appreciate kind of what different micro segments of your customers want. And anticipate even. Exactly. So why couldn't that be applied to the workforce? And if the data sets exist and the information is there, granted, there's privacy issues and data privacy issues and potentially depending upon the um, sentiment of your workforce, there could also be a creepy factor, right? But the younger generations are used to having those data sets used in ways that benefit them. And so if if you can bring that data to the table in a way that creates a better workplace experience for them, they're likely going to say have at it. I think the trick though, it's back to some of what we're talking about in one of the scenarios around work as fashion and in the other scenario around purpose unleashed. You need to, you need to not choose things that are trendy. Rather, you need to sort of chart a course to do things that have sort of enduring value, style, as we say in the report, right? Choose things that are classic. Um, and so what is the, how do you use the data set to provide more insight into what your workers want and then choose things that sort of are, are more about more enduring in what you offer so that it's not all trendy, right? Um, and I think that's the real secret to what will emerge. And I think it's highly possible because the, unfortunately, many organizations have built their benefits programs based on 
you know, a workforce of yesteryear based on possibly a second or third industrial revolutionary kind of structure, as opposed to who that workforce is today and what they've now emerged into needing and wanting. The one other thing I will, I will say is to keep in mind is this varies, of course, uh, regionally, internationally, in terms of jurisdiction, based on kind of the dynamics of the local government and sort of the society that you live in. So there's a whole dialogue about how the Scandinavian countries are in a slightly different place than some of this because of the nature of how society there comes to the table for a lot of these things around elder care and child care and so forth and upskilling and, 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 um, and the other kinds of health care that they offer. Uh, it enables the worker to not have to be concerned about those things from the employer. And in some ways, the worker then can tap into this dynamic economy even differently or better than they might in a Western country where you're dependent on your workplace for some of those benefits. So even as worker, workplaces are thinking through kind of what is classic and enduring, it's also important to recognize kind of, again, what's happening in the jurisdiction around you that influences that. Absolutely. And I think that what we're seeing with some of the, the new U.S. Um, policy developments around childcare as infrastructure and paid leaves and parental leaves. Yes, some of the employees even there may then come to rely on this as a government uh, support, as the responsibility of the government and not having to choose their job or their place of work, even taking those into considerations and have a little bit maybe more freedom or flexibility to choose something that's the best suited to their skills or their aspirations. Now, before we go to the last question, I just wanted to ask you, Steve, where could listeners go to and find the report or find some of the other very insightful articles that, that Deloitte is producing around these topics? Sure. So everything can be found at www.deloitte.com backsplash future of work or www.deloitte.com backslash HC trends. The future of work pages have all of our research on the dynamics of what's taking place in terms of the work, the workforce and the workplace um, in, and, and the, the trends that we've been seeing over the course of pre-pandemic and post. And then the HC trends uh, is where you'll find the report that we've been talking about just now. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and just coming to the last question, which is more or less always the same here on the Work Life Hub podcast, if I could ask you, Steve, to just select one advice that I ask you to give to senior leaders listening to this conversation on what they need to be doing now to to, to make sure that they not only survive but thrive so what would be your first or one advice the most important thing to them sure so i i would urge leaders to recognize that workers are now in a power position to shift traditional workplace standards from what they've been and it's actually become a pivotal pivotal moment for organizations in shaping their future focused on what is the nature of that employer an employee relationship. And many organizations have not stepped back and thought sufficiently about what this is in a deliberate way. 
which is why we had this whole dialogue earlier on in the discussion around are we a family or not? Like, what's the evolution here? And I would urge organizations to step back and think very um, carefully about what is the nature of that relationship. And in doing so, then chart the course for how you address many of the things that we've been talking about, purpose and meaning, and trust, and flexibility and agency, and, um, and output, productivity. And so take a focus on what is the nature of the employer-employee relationship you want to have that will make you successful going forward, and then chart the course around it. Great. Well, thank you so much, um, Steve. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and, and you know, taking a lot away from your insight and, and sharing it with us and the listeners so succinctly and, and um, in a very com- comprehensible uh, way. So thank you very much. And I just want to wish you really the best of success with the report, but also your other work. Terrific. Thank you, Agnes. It was my pleasure.